So last week we, we started into this series called Eyes Up, and it's just two weeks, last week and this week. And the hope of it was to really be able to speak life and encouragement into people going through storms in life. And we're not talking about little storms that can be managed by calling a friend or, or dialing up a number. We're talking about the kind of storms that when you're in them, you know if God doesn't come through, then nobody's coming through. And, and those storms are real, and they're real in this house. And so these messages didn't come from like a year's planning session where we said we should spend, spend some time in this passage and spend some time around this idea. These messages came from conversations with real people who are sitting in this room who are in the thick of it in life. And I know that that's true of a lot of us because last week at the end of our gathering, we had a special time where the people of our house could be prayed for by our team. And all through the day last Sunday, we prayed for hundreds of people at Passion City Church. Hundreds of families and single adults and and wives and husbands and um, all kinds of people of all ages came to be prayed for. And some of those stories were shared through our team this week, not names of people, Not even really necessarily gender of people, just someone asked for prayer for this. Another family asked for prayer for this. And I'm telling you, it's exactly what you would think. The people sitting in this building right now are in huge, life-rocking storms. Husband gone. Wife has abandoned the family. A depression, anxiety, darkness, loss of hope. I feel isolated. I feel alone. I need a miracle for my son. Facing cancer, facing a diagnosis. We, we don't know where to turn. All kinds of stories. And that's who's in the house today. And we have to remember that. So we just don't sort of roll in here and forget the reality that we all need the supernatural power of God to intervene in our stories today. And that's why we've gathered corporately, because individually we forget. And individually the storm takes over. And our eyes drift down and we see the wind and we see the waves and we see the the power of what's coming against us. And when we do, we start to sink. And God is saying, lift your eyes up. The psalmist last week, Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so we looked up last week. And this week we're going to add two more steps to that journey. And I want to encourage you, if you're in a storm, these are not little formulaic, cliche, Christian answers. It's real power for real life. And it begins today by just saying, hey, whatever's coming against me is real. I'm not denying that. I'm just going to lift my eyes above it to see who God is again today. And when we do that, it leads us to two other steps in the journey. And those are the two things I want to talk about today. And I want to begin in Psalm 95. We're going to see the first of those today. And it is this. When we truly look up and see the greatness and grandeur of God, it is in that moment that our knees bow down and we find peace in the presence of Almighty God. Psalm 95, this is what the psalmist writes. And he's encouraging you and me today, and actually amen in what what we are doing here today. The psalmist writes, come and let us sing for joy to the Lord. That's what we've been doing this morning. We didn't just plan out a service like, you know, oh, somewhere there's a service planning guide, and you come in, you welcome people, you do a few songs, you you share a little information, a guy comes up and talks for a little while, and then you kind of close things out, and that's the way you have a service. No, we're doing what we're called to do, which is to come, gather today, and to sing for joy to the Lord. And then he says, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Isn't that awesome? So there's a place to come, there's a place to sing, and there's a time to shout as the people of God. And I love that. People say to me sometimes, you know, your church at Passion City Church, y'all are a, a noisy church. And I say, thank you. I don't know whether they meant it as a compliment or not, but I just intersected it as a compliment before I could hear the rest of the statement. They say, your, cho- your church, the people clap a lot at your church. And I'm like, thank you for that. That's so, thank you for saying that. That's so amazing. And you can tell sometimes they were really wanting to give you a, a compliment and now they don't know what to do. And, and if they're really bold, they back up and say, no, 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 you misunderstand me. It's just like, no, they clap too much at your church. 
And I'm like, really, can you clap too much at church? I mean, can you really? I guess you can, but seriously, that would be hard to do because I've seen people clap at the symphony before. I mean, the high and mighty, the intellectually astute, the culturally developed, not just church folks. I'm talking about like, you know, people who've been to Harvard, you know, and they're, they're all into the, into the high music of the day. And when it's over, you know what they do? They, they go, and there's usually one of them. You know which one I'm talking about? Who wants to be the first one up? You ever seen this before? Because everybody's kind of like starts to clap. And then they're like, no, 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 we're standing people. And he's like. And everybody, it's just part of human nature. It's part of human nature for people to clap for things. It just depends on what your thing is. And I don't know that there's a greater thing than the fact that Jesus Christ is alive from the dead. And he is inviting us into a relationship with him. And he's with us and he's in us. And I just, I don't know. I I don't know what there is to clap about more than that. And the psalmist, maybe he thought sometimes we forget. And so he's calling us around and he's saying, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Why? For the Lord is the great God. He is not just a God. He is the great God, the great king above all gods, little g gods. And if all the little g gods get applause, then he's going to get more applause. If all the little g's on this planet get our shouts of praise, then he's going to get more shouts of praise. And so the psalmist is exhorting us. He's encouraging us. He's calling us up to worship. And then he's reminding us why we worship this way. We do not worship this way. I love saying this because we're trying to hype it up. There are churches that do that. I've been to them and it's just like a hype fest from the beginning to the end. And then when it's all over, you feel kind of encouraged and a little bit tired. And that is not our heartbeat. We're not trying to push our enthusiasm on you. So if you're not enthusiastic, that's okay. You can come and leave unenthusiastic. But what we are trying to say is when we lift our eyes up, hello, we're lifting them up to the great king who is greater than all the little G gods. And so that's what calls forth the shouts of praise. That's what calls forth the songs that we sing and the music that we play. That's what calls forth our response today, it is that our God is a great God. So the psalmist didn't just say, come sing, come shout, come with thanksgiving. He said, here's why. Because he is a great God, a great king above all gods. Verse four, in his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his. Who owns the Pacific Ocean? God owns it. Who owns the Indian Ocean, the Adriatic Sea? Who owns the Black Sea and Lake Altoona? Who owns them all? God owns them all. And you know why he owns them all? Not because he bought them, not because he inherited them, not because he stumbled on them in an estate sale. He owns them because he created them. They are his and they belong to him. And then it says, his hands formed the dry land. Now, the psalmist is always trying to get us to step out of technology world for a second, to look out and up at the breadth of creation, and to remind us that this God that we say we believe in, he created all of this, and he made it all, and it all belongs to him. And then once we get that rearranged in our minds, then this is what happens. He says, come. Let us, can you say this with me? Bow down in worship. Say it with me. Read on. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. You see, when our eyes reach up to heaven, our knees eventually touch down on earth. 
You know that your eyes have reached up to majesty when your knees touch down on earth. This is the relationship of what it means to see God and to know God and to be stunned and moved by God. And what I want to encourage us in today as a house is not just to lift our eyes up, but as we lift them up, as we look up into the greatness of God, to let that greatness and grandeur of God drive us to our knees. You know, our storms are going to drive us to our knees. Even the world knows that. Somebody in your office will say something like, man, this guy's a wreck. His business is crashing. His wife left him. His kid's in rehab. I mean, it's driving him to his knees. Even the world knows how to say that. And storms will and do drive us to our knees. And sometimes, maybe that's why God let them end the story in the first place. Because he knows there's something special down in that place. And he knows we're not getting there unless the pressure is great enough that we finally crack in our own strength and say, I've just got to come and worship and bow down before the Lord, my maker. But what a powerful thing to get there before the storm comes and to not be driven to our knees by the storm, but to be driven to our knees by the greatness and the grandeur of God. And to be so overwhelmed with him that it brings us to a place of worship where we fall on our knees before him. Come, verse 6, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Why? For he is our God. Can you say that today? Can you believe that again today? He is our God. He's your God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Come on. We have a shepherd today. And that shepherd is caring for us in his pasture. And this we know when we look up into heaven and it causes us to bow down in worship, in adoration, that our shepherd is the maker of heaven and earth. You know, I, I have nothing in me today. Some, sometimes the tone and, and the need of the day is for me to come and kind of light a fire under me and all the rest of us. That is not necessarily the tone today. So when I ask this question, I'm not trying to step on your toes. I'm just trying to help us understand. And I I wonder, when is the last time that you bowed down before the Lord in worship? When's the last time that you found yourself on your knees looking up at the awesome wonder of God? And he was so great and so amazing that you said, I'm just going to pause and stop right here. And I'm going to bow down right here. And I'm going to worship God because he is worthy of worship. Is that today? I mean, it is Sunday of all things. But I know today's crazy because you got to get up and you got to watch that Falcons game coming on at a weird time. And then we got to get ready for church at the same time. And we got to leave room for Starbucks and somebody's running late. And um, so that's kind of difficult in that way. But what about yesterday? Like, oh, yesterday is Saturday. It's not, you know, it's not, you know, we got up late, slept late. Or maybe we got up early because of the kids, but we finally went, we went to brunch or we went to the park or we did whatever. It's like, okay, well, what about Friday? So Friday we were bowed down to worship, right? Well, Friday was crazy. I was traveling. I was out of town. I had to catch a flight. Okay, well, maybe Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, this week, in October. When's the last time that you were on your knees before God worshiping him? for how amazing he is. And if there's tension in that question, the tension is there because the enemy has stolen from us, I believe, the opportunity to get in the most 
powerful place that we can be. And that's the place when we say, you know what? I can slow it all down and get into a posture, even before the storm comes, that says, all my hope is in the rock of my salvation. And I just want to shout aloud to him that he is the shelter of my life. This message today has a hope in it. And the hope in it is that we will recalibrate our lives and start finding the place where our eyes can meet heaven and our knees can touch earth because there's something powerful that happens in that place in our lives. The second thing I want us to see today is this, is that when the greatest battles come, our strongest place of refuge is on our knees. In Luke chapter 22, it's the story of the end of the life of Jesus. Jesus has come to do one thing. He, he, he primarily has come to do one thing. He did many things. And it says of Jesus that if all the things Jesus did were written down in a book, the, the libraries of the world couldn't contain all the books of all the things that Jesus did. That's pretty uh, crazy right there. So I guess that's what eternity is about. We get to hear about a lot of the things that Jesus did. But we know that of all the things he did, healing the blind, uh, touching the leper, walking on water, feeding 5,000, of all the things Jesus did, the most powerful thing that Jesus did was to give his life in exchange for you and me. He came to destroy the works of darkness, to destroy sin and death and the penalty of sin, to cancel our debt before God, to stand in our place as a substitute for our sin, to give his life so that we might be set free. This is the thing that Jesus came to do. And on the way to doing that, he did many things, but that's the one thing. And so on the last night of Jesus' life, there was a supper with his followers. They broke bread together. They, they raised the cup together. He was telling them about crucifixion together. Uh, the hand of the betrayer went onto the table. He washed the disciples' feet. But at the end of that, they sang a hymn, and then they left that upper room. They went out of Jerusalem, down into the valley, and up onto the hillside opposite called the Mount of Olives. And most people know what happened there. Even if you've never been to church before, you probably know a little bit of the story that unfolds in this moment. But this is the greatest moment in the life of Jesus because this is the climax of everything he's come to do. And this is what happens in verse 39 of Luke 22. It says, and Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. Now, hello, has anybody got that verse underlined? Just checking. Has anybody got that highlighted, circled, got some little stars or dots or something? Because you're on your phone, so it's hard to highlight on the phone, I know. Um, th this is maybe the money today, okay? So uh, we're going to back up just for a second because I don't have like, you know, they say, where's the left hook and where's the, the knockout blow? This is it right here. And I'm not supposed to tell you that and give it away, but I don't want us to miss this today. This little phrase right here, I believe, contains all the power that can transform your life from this point forward. It says, Jesus went out, can you say the next few words with me? As usual. Can you say that again? As usual. Jesus went out as usual. In other words, this was not a one-time occurrence. This was a regular occurrence in the life of Jesus. This isn't a one-shot story. This is a multiple day story. This is what happens on a regular time when Jesus would come to the end of a day, he would do this. This is not the first time this has ever happened. This is, I don't know, we don't know what number of times it is, but this is a usual occurrence in the life of Jesus. So is it special? Yes. Is it the, maybe the most precious one of these? Yes, but it's not the only one of these. And that's going to be the transformational idea today for you and for me. It says, Jesus went out, say it again with me, as usual. Can we say it like a, a little bit more volume just so we get in all that? Jesus went out as usual. So that's good. So I just want you to remember those two words. He went out to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. And he did what I, I want you to read out loud a lot today. I hope you're okay with that. So read the next phrase. He knelt down and 
prayed. So they go out as usual. They get to the Mount of Olives as usual. They get into this grove of olive trees as usual. Jesus says to them, I'm going to go a little further by myself as usual. And when I get there by myself a little further than the pack, I'm going to kneel down as usual and I'm going to pray as usual. This is what I do. I usually go out to a place that's secluded. My followers come with me and I want them to, but then there's a moment where they can't come where I'm going and I say, you stop here. I'm gonna go on a little further and I go by myself, a stone's throw over there. As usual, I kneel down alone over there and as usual, I pray over there by myself. Come on, we're talking about Jesus. This same Jesus we came to today and said, oh, I believe in Jesus and I love Jesus and I want to follow Jesus and I want to live my life for Jesus. Yeah, well, if we want to follow Jesus, what we're going to do is usually go to a familiar place and go a little further than everybody else and get to the spot where we're alone by ourselves. And in that spot, we're going to nail, kneel down. And in that place, we're going to pray because that's what Jesus did usually. And if we're not doing that, I, I'm, I guess all of a sudden the tone did change and I am going to exhort a little bit. If, we're not, if I'm not doing that, I am not following Jesus. I'm just sitting back waiting for a storm and then I'm going to call on him to come in and rescue me when the storm comes. But I'm not following him in a mentality of lifestyle that says whatever Jesus does, that's what I'm going to do. And if that was usual activity for the son of the living God, that's going to be usual activity for the sons and daughters of God who've come to face faith because of the son of the living God. He knelt down and prayed, verse 42, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He prayed, if there's another way for people to experience salvation, then please do that. He knew there wasn't, but he was being real. I just need you to understand today, Jesus was being real. This wasn't like press play on the recorder. Oh, Father, if, 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 if this cup can pass for me, then let it be so, but let your, your will be done. He is in a real moment of struggle. And he knows there is not another way for humanity to come to life. Why? Because nobody else on planet Earth is alive in this moment. So there isn't another person that could even volunteer to die on the cross but Jesus. Do you understand that's why he was born of a virgin? That's why he was sinless at birth? That's why he didn't come through the human line of sin in Adam, but he was conceived of the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb? Why is that important? Because he had to be born alive spiritually so that he could walk spiritually to this moment and then he could give his life in exchange for us. So nobody could have stepped up in that moment and said, Jesus, you're not doing this. I'm going to die on the cross because they were spiritually dead in that moment and no one else could pay that price but Jesus. And he knows this, but he's in agony. He doesn't want to take on sin. He doesn't want to take on all of the yuck of our lives. He doesn't want to be separated from God. He doesn't want to taste rebellion and taste anarchy and taste selfishness and taste pride and taste everything that we have done in our lives. But he knows there's no other way, but he's being real. And don't you love that? Don't you love that this is a real prayer? If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. What cup? The cup that has all our stuff in it. That cup. If there's any other way, let it pass from me. But then he prays this prayer. But, but nevertheless, I want your will and not my will to be done. If you just sit back and breathe that prayer just a little bit, you understand that there's a thought going through Jesus' mind like, I love them intensely. But man, I do not want to become an enemy of God. But I'm going to become an enemy of God today because there isn't any other way. And Jesus it says, was comforted in verse 44 because he was in anguish 
He prayed more earnestly. But right above that it says, An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Now I'm not saying today that once you get down on your knees, an angel of heaven is going to appear there. But I am saying today that once we get on our knees, the power of God is going to come in that moment and strengthen you. There is a work of God that only happens to you and me when we are on our knees. You're like, well, I I can pray anywhere. I can pray in my car. I can pray in the shower. I can pray at the gym. I can pray at the box. I can pray, you know, in traffic. I can pray in my cubicle. That's absolutely true. We all can walk with Jesus everywhere in life. We can be led by the Spirit every step of life. But come on, there is a place where we are alone with God, on our knees with God, where in the the storms of our lives, where we are down in the greatest place we can be. And in that place, there is something special that happens to us. And in that place, an angel came and appeared to him and strengthened him. And if you and I want to get strengthened by God, one of the places where we're going to get strengthened by God is alone on our knees before him, worshiping him for who he is, but just surrendering to him and his plans and his purposes for our lives. And being in great anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer and he went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And we know from the other gospel writers' account, this happened three times. He would go back, wake up, guys. We got to pray tonight. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. And then he'd go back alone and pray. He'd come back. They're asleep again. Watch and pray. I love that Jesus called other people into the process of praying so we do not do solo navigation of life and we do not navigate our storm solo. We invite people in and say, come and watch and pray with me. But there has to be a moment that we withdraw a stone's throw away and we find ourselves before Almighty God on our knees, trusting Him to do what only He can do. You know, the greatest meeting that's ever happened concerning you, it wasn't a meeting of people at work deciding about your future or whether your division was going to get axed or whether you were going to stay. It wasn't somebody deciding in a, in a courtroom about the outcome of your family. It wasn't an old family meeting that decided how one thing was going to work or another. The most important meeting that's ever happened concerning you was the meeting of Jesus Christ with his father on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said yes to the purpose of plan of God and said yes to the possibility of salvation for you and me. The greatest meeting that's ever happened concerning you happened when a man was on his knees. The greatest meeting ever happened when someone's knees were bowed down to the ground. Don't just think great things happen when we're standing up, when we're walking around, when we're in charge of things and leading things and changing things. Great things happen when we are kneeling alone before Almighty God. And I want to encourage us in that in the days to come. I I, I could say today, you know, last week we prayed as a house, and you could say, well, today we're going to kneel as a house. It'd be very difficult for us to do that in this room. And I actually think there might be more power for us to take up this idea that for the next seven days, everyone in our house would find a quiet place somewhere alone and find yourself on your knees before God trusting him, to worshiping him, A, for who he is, but trusting him to bring you through whatever storm you're in in your life. That's what Matthew says in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, as Jesus is teaching. It's amazing how this connects with the end of the story in the Garden of Gethsemane. But look what it says in Matthew, chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. It says, and when you pray, assuming that you are, Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Now, I I know you probably don't have this in you, but there's a percentage in me that if I'm in a crowd, I'm always kind of wondering, is everybody watching me pray? Is everybody noticing that I'm worshiping? Is everybody noticing that I'm doing X? That's just a human nature, I think, for us. And so Jesus says, we want to take that off the table And we want to get a better reward. And so when you pray, don't stand out 
on the, on the corners or in the synagogues so everybody can watch you pray. There, there's something better than that. He says, I tell you the truth, these men have received their reward in full. So you've got to be very careful that you're not playing to the crowd. Because if you're playing to the crowd, you better love the applause they give you because that's all you're getting. That's all you're getting. If you're preaching for the crowd, you better love their approval. If you are doing your Bible study and devotion, you know, so that people can kind of notice that you're doing a great Bible study and devotion, you better love the affirmation you get from people because that's the whole reward you're going to get. But he said there's another reward, and this is even, this is amazing to look at the possibility. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Hello? So there's a reward from God, and guess what the reward is? Anybody? God! Do you want God? If do, you, do you really want God? Well, if you want more of God activity, awakening you to Christ in you, spirit in you, your place in the family, hope birthed in you, confidence rising in you, faith built in you, if you want to know God, then guess what? You have to go for God to know God. And I think sometimes we get caught up in saying, I can't go for God. So that's one dead end we get into. And other people say, I'm going to go more for people thinking that I'm going for God. Oh man, that's convicting. I'm going to go for people to think that I'm the kind of person that goes for God. And guess what? That's the reward we get. But God said, if you want me, here's how you get me. There has to be a moment where you go in your room and close the door and it's just me and you. And nobody knows about it. There's not a GoPro in there. We're not YouTubing it. The tweet isn't, amazing morning, just came out of my closet for my 45 minutes with Jesus. Sweet time, precious time. Hashtag, I'm amazing. <laughs> Hashtag, you're probably not as amazing. Hashtag, I prayed for you today when I was in the closet. <laughs> Hashtag, what did you do today? No, it's like, I believe that if I'm alone with God and I get God, then I got the very best thing. And I believe that in that place, when my eyes have reached up to heaven and the greatness of God caused my knees to touch down on earth, that it's in that place that something falls on my heart that reminds me that my God is a great and awesome God. You know, when I'm right in here, it's like all the other voices have to take a back seat. And I remember in this moment that my God is bigger than divorce. He's bigger than families splitting apart. He's bigger than my wife's adultery. He's bigger than the fact that my kid has bolted and I don't know where he is. He's bigger than cancer. He's bigger than what the doctor told me. He's bigger than the sickness. He's bigger than the darkness. He's bigger than the oppression that's been coming against my life. My God is a bigger God than all of that. And that stuff is real and the storm is out there, but I'm telling you right here, I know that my God is a great and awesome God. And when the pressure's coming, as great as it can come, I'm going to find the quiet place that I usually go to, and I'm going to kneel down there and remember again that God is God. I'm not just going to bow down because I'm in a storm. I'm going to bow down because that's what I usually do. And my usual occurrences of meeting with God in the secret place have prepared me for today's appointment to meet with God on the very most difficult day of all. And Jesus found himself in the usual place on an unusual night. And all of the usual had shaped and prepared him for the moment 
which was the most difficult moment of all. He said, go in secret, and the Father who sees what is done in secret, verse 6, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You know how powerful that is? He said, well, what do you do when you get down on your knees? You realize that God already knows what you need. So you're not like, okay, here I go. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a try. Here I am. Okay, God, so we're going through a really big storm right now. Somehow when you get here, you just know that He knows. And you don't have to recount to Him the doctor's name the time of the surgery. Lord, you know that at 9.30 tomorrow we're going in to Piedmont. He's like, I knew that already. And you know that Dr. Jojo is going to perform this thing. And he says, no, he's not going to perform it tomorrow. He's going to have an emergency tomorrow and be called out of town. Another doctor's coming tomorrow. I'm already preparing him for what he's going to do. I know the details. I know the anesthetic. I know the surgical team. I know exactly what bed you're going to be on. I know exactly what time the procedure is going to start. I know exactly what the temperature is going to be in the room. I know exactly what's happening. I know exactly the clouds in the sky above you. I know it all. I see it all. I'm running the universe, and I'm the shepherd of your life. Just bow down and know that I am your God. And there's something powerful in that moment. You don't have to have... You don't have to have this grand prayer. You don't have to have this amazing prayer once you get into that secret place. In that secret place, your words can be few. He said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven. What is he saying? Lift your eyes up and say, in the secret place, I'm lifting up again and saying, my Father's in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Worshipped be your name. I'm coming in the secret place with pre-praise and pre-thanks. I don't know how the storm's going to play out, but I know God is greater than the storm. And so I lift my eyes up like Jesus calls me to, and I say, my Father is in heaven, and heaven is higher than earth, and it is higher than the storm. It is higher than the attack. It is higher than the pressure that's coming. And my God is bigger than death. My God is bigger than depression. My God is bigger than divorce. My God is bigger than cancer. And down here, I'm looking up and I'm saying, my Father's in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And somebody's knocking and they're like, hey, you got to wrap this up, man. We got storms coming. I know, I know. Just give me a minute. Because my God's name is bigger than the name of the storm that I am in right now. And I just want to say, hallowed, worshipped, lifted high, be the name of my God. And this is what happens in the secret place. And we've taken this our whole lives and said, okay, let's say this together. Our Father who art in heaven. And we always get that church voice on, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, for, and give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. That prayer, Jesus said, was best prayed in the secret place on our knees before God where the only reward in there is God. Not in rote in a circle somewhere or sitting in pews somewhere, but in the secret place somewhere. And I'm telling you, I wonder if maybe we've missed the secret place. I wonder if maybe we've missed the invitation of God. And I wonder what we're missing in the reward of God. And I know you can meet him anywhere, but you cannot exchange the secret place with God for the culturally hip hang at the coffee shop. And if the only place you meet God is with a, a latte in your journal and your Bible at the coolest hang in town, you are missing out on the invitation from God that says it can't all happen on cool tables and coffee shops. At some point, you got to go in your room and close the door and get by yourself with God. And nobody's looking around going, oh, man, that's a cool journal. I talked to you, man, but I got my praise in right now. And God is like, 
You can journal at the coffee shop and you can get spoken to from the Word of God at Octane, but you can't get the reward that you need unless that's all you want. And do you feel what I feel? Do you feel like maybe the enemy has stolen from us? The place where the power is? And if you're in a storm, you've got to get there. You've got to get there. And because you're going to a storm, you've got to get there and make it your usual place. And if you never had a storm, you would want to get there because there is no better place to be than right there with a great God. I love the way Eugene Peterson says this. This is his take on verse 6, which says, but when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Mr. Peterson says that this way, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and as honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense His grace. So you don't need an elaborate plan. No, you don't. You, you don't need to come with a couple of devotional books and a couple pads and pens. You just need to steal away. It, it could be in a supply closet at your office. It could be literally in your closet at your house if that's the only place you can get in. Wait until everybody else has left and just find a corner. I'm telling you, you can find a place to kneel down in the most creative and random places if you're looking for it, where nobody can see you. And you don't have to stay there a week. You don't have to stay there for a month. You don't have to stay there for an hour. You just have to get there and get to that place while you are there that the focus starts to shift from you to God, that you remember that, that He is your God, that we're the people of His pasture and we're the flock under his care and Eugene said the focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace and then the last part of this and we'll close with this what did Jesus do while he was down there eyes up knees down and then what did Jesus do hands open I think when our eyes are on the unassailable throne of God it moves us it moves us and once we bow that's the place where it's easiest not easy but easiest to open our hands so I've got my eyes up my knees have touched down to earth my hands open and I pray Jesus same one he taught us to pray our father in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy what will be done on earth as it is in heaven so like a good teacher what did Jesus do in his usual place he prayed like that and so what did he do on the last night before his crucifixion what did he do when the storm was at an all time high what did he do when he was in such anguish that he sweat great drops of blood what did he do hours away from crucifixion he said 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he said, not my way, but your way. Jesus opened his hands and released his destiny into the hands of his God. Do you know why? We've got to get to that place because it is in that place that we say what we already intrinsically know and God knows. We can't control it. We can't change it. We can't fix it. We can't stop it. We can't turn back time. We can't redo what has been done. We don't have the capability to heal ourselves. I can't go find my son today because I don't even know where my son is today. And so all I can really do today is say, God, I've come down on my knees and I've looked up to you and I realize that you're in charge of my life, that you love me, that no one's loved me like you love me, that you are great and awesome and powerful. And yes, the storm is raging around me, but I can't control it. I can't manage it. I can't take it anymore. And so I'm just going to open my hands and say, whatever you want to do, God, that's what I want you to do. So not my will. Yes. Do I have a will? Of course. Is there a way I would like it to play out? Of course there is. But I'm just going to say, I trust you. You are awesome and mighty and powerful and wise. And you see it all and know it all. And I believe in your plan. So whatever you want to do, my hands are open. Take whatever you want to take out of them and put whatever you want to put in them. I want my son to come home, some parents saying, but I can't go get him. And so I'm appealing to you today, is this your will that he be there? And if it's not, let your will be done today. God, I want my wife to come home. I don't want her to be with that guy, but I can't go get her today. Is that your will that she's with that guy today and not home with us? Well, if it's not, God, I'm asking you, let your will be done. God, we got a prognosis. We have news. But that news isn't in charge of us. You're in charge of us. So we say, your will be done. We're opening our hands. We're letting go. We're just saying, whatever you want, put it in these hands and we'll walk it and we'll trust it we'll believe in you all the way through it all don't you know and believe today that what we all need most is found right here Maybe that's why we're so rarely there. As the enemy says, you just figure it out. Oh, you just keep on trying. You keep working it out. You keep having meetings and calling people and staying up all night and see if you can figure it out. And God's like, why don't you just close the door? And why don't you just bow down and look up at me? And just let my power open your hands and release it and please don't say that that's a cop out prayer Lord we should be we should be praying for a miracle do we not let your will be done there is nothing more supernatural than trusting God to do whatever it is God's doing there's nothing more supernatural than that That is not a cop-out prayer unless Jesus copped out on the last night before he died. And he didn't cop out. He opted in to the grand plan of God. And he walked through 
what no one else could walk through so that God could accomplish the greatest act that's ever been accomplished in the history of humankind. You will never lose by saying to God, not my will, but your will be done unless you think God has evil plans for you and he does not. The cross is proof. You will never lose. Well, I, I, I want to be restored. We want to see a miracle. We want to see God bring our family back together. We want to see the bonds of this addiction broken. We want to see this depression crack off of our lives. We want to see something happen. Well, guess what? When you say, let your will be done, not my will be done, guess what? It is God's will to bring the transformational power of God into our lives. It is God's will for us to live free. It is God's will for us to live in the fullness of the light of who he is. We will never lose by praying that prayer. And so we can hold on all day long. I'm not going to say the words because I don't know if I let go and say not my will but your will. I don't know what God's going to do. God's going to do the best thing. That's what God's going to do. God's going to do something powerful. That's what God's going to do. He's going to do something that changes eternity. That's what God's going to do. He's going to glorify himself in the circumstance. That's what he's going to do. He's going to take care of you no matter what. That's what he's going to do. He's going to lift up Jesus. That's what he's going to do. He's going to come in power. That's what he's going to do. He is going to be present with you in a way that keeps you no matter what storm, that's what he's going to do. And he's going to bring you through. That's what he's going to do when you say not my will, but your will be done. He's going to do things that will blow our minds. But the most thing he's going to do is he's going to meet us in that place with a grace that comes on our lives that is the most precious grace of all. And I want to invite you there. And even right now, we physically be hard for us. Some people have to be out in the oval and out in the hall if we even tried to get on our knees right now. But I encourage you to find that place. Believer, unbeliever, churchgoer, non-churchgoer. Seven days. Just find a quiet place and get alone in that place and say, God, I'm here. I'm here. I'm just here to trust you, to open my life to you, to be with you in this place. And in our hearts, I want us to be that way right now. 